Our scripture this morning comes from the first chapter of Jeremiah, beginning with verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite things about um, preaching is all the stuff you read and never makes it into a sermon. Um, But there's a parable that I read this week by one of my favorite theologians, Peter Rollins. I actually don't know how it fits in, but it's so good I had to share it. So I want to start with that. So this is Preacher. And he is so good. He's a preacher of a a large church, and people come from all over to hear him preach week in and week out, and his church continued to grow and grow and grow. At the end of every sermon, every week he ended it the same way. He said, I'm going to leave from here, and God has called uh, called us uh, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to house the homeless, and I'm going to go one town over and I'm going to do those things. But you know what? Every week he got in his car and he went two towns over and he played golf. And he did this over and over, week in and week out. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and he would go two towns over and he played golf. And, and some angels got wind of this. And in staff meeting one week with God, they brought it up and said, God, this preacher, every week he preaches and people are coming from all over. And, and he says these things, I'm going to go feed the Hungry, clothe the naked, how's the homeless? And he goes two towns over and he plays golf. And God says, well, I think I should go listen to him. You know, God hadn't been in the church in years, that particular one. And um, God needed to go listen to him preach. And so God did. And partway through the sermon, God's thinking, man, this guy's really good. I mean, really good. Like if, if I hadn't sent my son and didn't, Raise him from the dead. I don't, I don't know that I, I mean, I, I would believe. I, I, this is amazing. And God was really impressed. And when the preacher got done, like normal, he said, I'm going to go feed the hungry, house the homeless, clothe the naked. He went two towns over and he went to play golf and, and God followed him. And God followed him through the round of golf and the first hole because God was with him on the golf course. It's a par four, it's reachable. Pastor brings out his driver. He's like, I'm going to try to reach the green in one. And, and he hits it, and sure enough, he reaches in one. But not only does he reach in one, but he, it, it hits a funny bounce, and it bounces in hole in one, first hole. 
Second hole, he's like, man, he's feeling really good about himself. Hole in one, he never had one of those before, first hole. And hole number two, he, he gets up there and he slices it to the right. Oh, man. But you know what? It hits a tree and then it hits another tree and then it bounces and all of a sudden it's trickling in and it, it's a hole in one. It's like, what in the world? It, second hole, hole in one. I mean, this is, you know, two hole in ones. I never even had one. Third hole's a water hole. He is never good at water holes. He always hits it in the water. And sure enough, he hits it and it's getting ready to go in the water. But rather than going in, it skitters across the top. And you know what happens, right? It goes in hole in one. This happens over and over and over. 18 holes. This isn't a par three course. This isn't a putt-putt course. This is a real golf course. All 18 holes, holes in one. The pastor's beside himself. I mean, this, is a, this is the kind of round like you would dream of. You know, no professional's ever done this. This is the best round of golf in the history of golf. God gets the staff meeting the next week, and the angels begin to break God. God, what were you thinking? Here this is, this guy, week in and week out, he says he's going to go do this thing, and then he does this other thing, and you follow him around, and he has the best round of golf ever. God gets this wry smile. And says, but who's he going to tell? <laughs> I told you it was too good not to share. <laughs> Let those who have ears to hear, hear. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for stories that make us laugh and challenge us to think about who we are in you and Thank you for scriptures like Jeremiah that remind us of call. and May we remember a God that we're all called in some way, shape, or form. Guide us now that we might hear your word for us this day. Speak through me, O God, if necessary in spite. Speak that we might hear your word for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple years ago, there was a New York Times uh, op-ed piece uh, on autobiographies. This particular uh, journalist writer wrote in their lamenting of all the autobiographies that were on the shelves these days, that everyone thought that they could write about their lives. And it seems like every time you turned around, there was a New York Times bestseller that was an autobiography. In fact, some research had been done and, and said within the article that 70% of Americans believed that they should and could write some kind of autobiographical story that other people would want to read. And this writer lamented this. What in the world? Who do we think we are? Some months went by, and then another letter to the editor came in in response to this particular article, and this writer said this. This writer lamented that 30% of people didn't think they had a story to tell. Hmm. I began responding to my call to ministry when I was 15. I remember thinking, what in the world does this word call, word call even mean? <laughs> Am I going to get some kind of letter in the mail that tells me exactly what to do? Is someone going to look at me and say, this is what it means to be called. This is how you do it. And of course, there are people that do those things. But what I found over and over again and what I found in my life as I responded continuously over to this call 
is that it's not static, that it's dynamic, that it's not always clear. Sometimes it's fuzzy. And that a lot of times when I'm trying my best to respond, I kind of miss the mark. And then sometimes, sometimes, the Spirit works through me in such ways that I couldn't have imagined. What's fascinating in this book of Jeremiah is that we have this call story in chapter 1. And, and it's interesting, as I read commentators this week, they said, you know, you really shouldn't talk about call this week in this passage. And I said, why not? We never talk about call. Or at least I don't think about it a lot in, in terms of what it means for us all to be called. And, and they, they said, well, Jeremiah has a unique call. And that's true. We, and the thing that I think that reminds us of is that we each have a unique call. One writer said that, that maybe this isn't written like a journal entry, like this isn't the exact verbatim of what happened between God and Jeremiah, but rather maybe this is a reflection back. Now, Jeremiah died a martyr, so maybe not on his porch in old age, but maybe later on in his ministry as a prophet. I can imagine that he sat down one day and he began to reflect. God reminded me that even in the womb I was called. God reminded me that even when I objected, God said, no, you're called. God reassured me, even though that I was young when my call came, that I am in fact called. God even commissioned me to prophesy this difficult word. And not only that, but God reached out and touched my lips. And the words of my mouth were the words of God. Can you hear Jeremiah reflecting? It follows a very uh, historically, uh, very historical call narrative process. This is something that we see uh, with Moses and Gideon and Saul and Isaiah and Ezekiel. This is process of uh, the initiating word, God calls us out. Then there's always an objection in working with folks that are attempting to follow a call, I've, I've almost always seen this. I've almost always seen this in myself. That, no, God, not me. I, maybe I'm not the right person. You probably want somebody more qualified. Or in this case, I'm too young. In the case of Jeremiah, I'm too young. I'm only a boy. And then specifically in the, the call story of Jeremiah, there's a chastisement by God. Well, I... I would not have called you if it wasn't you I was meaning to call. I know you're a boy. And then there's a reassurance. So there's a word from God. There's an objection. There's a reassurance. I will give you the words. I will give you the words. And then there's a commissioning. There's a sending. Uh, I love the idea of ascending, the idea of being missional, being a sent church. It's not something that we sit and we hold on to. And can you imagine Jeremiah reflecting on these words? One of the things that I noticed as I was going through the ordination process, so for those of you that aren't super familiar with the ordination process from the United Methodist Church, it's about a 10-year process uh, to become an ordained elder or deacon. From the first time you mention it to a district superintendent or a church pastor or a church uh, SPRC, one of the first things that happens, and you seem to do this over and over again, is folks say, well, tell me your call story. 
And you do this at a, at a small group, maybe at a church, and then you do this at a district board, and then you do it eventually at a conference board, and, and you're the board of ordained ministry. And, and over and over, people say, well, tell me about your call story. I think that's such a gift. I think it's such a gift for folks called to vocational ministry. But one of the things that I began to wonder this week about uh, our process and and about what it means to be called and how I really think we're all called in different ways. And, and some of us may be to vocational ministry, but all of us to the service of God and all of us to ministry in one way or another. It's I wonder about what it would look like in our churches and our spaces and our places if we asked each other on a regular basis, tell me about your call story. Tell me about the way God pokes and prods you to service and to love in the world. So it's one thing for us to create spaces for our ordained clergy to do this, but I think it's a whole other thing that's maybe more important for us to create spaces for our lay leadership and our laity. How are you called? If you remember nothing from the sermon today other than maybe the parable to start with, uh, remember, think of this this week. I'd like to encourage you to reflect upon ways that you've been called in your life. Maybe you journal it, you write it down somewhere this week. Or maybe you share with a spouse or a friend. These are some ways that I have felt called. It's like to a certain extent as we've made a, a vocational professional uh, realm of clergy, we've forgotten what the Reformation did with the priesthood of all believer and the fact that we're all called in ways to serve God. Now I can, I can hear the, right, we're going to go through the process. This is initiating word, we're all called. And then there's this objection, well, no, 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 I'm not called. I, don't, I didn't go to seminary. I've not read the books. I, you know, I don't know that I can do this. I'm not, I don't have the ability. Well, it's not necessarily our ability. It's the response to the divine initiative that's our call. God's divine initiative to us. One, one writer said that it's when uh, the divine passion and the human passion are wedded together is when we respond to our call. I want to go into just a little bit about this word call. I remember thinking the first time I ever heard it when I was like 14 or 15 is, uh, is it like a phone call? Like does the bishop give you a ring and say this is, this is what you're going to do? Call, call is about discernment. Call is about reflection. Call is about initiative from God and then from us. Call is about process. Again, like I said earlier, it's not static, it's dynamic. What does it look like for each of us to respond to a call. Now, the other thing about Jeremiah that it teaches us is that Jeremiah's call was a very specific call. So Jeremiah became and, and was raised up as a prophet during the Babylonian exile. Uh, he had a specific word given, the, the word, the mouth, the God touches his mouth and has a specific word given that we're, that's alluded to in this passage to pluck up and pull down, destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah's word was a very difficult word to share in the midst of this exile. He reminded his 
brethren, that following God might be hard. In fact, it was a word that wasn't very popular. I mean, he didn't, he didn't win a lot of polling numbers. He wasn't ahead in popularity. He was someone that when he prophesied, people listened because they felt the call from him on God, the call that God had put upon him when he spoke. However, they didn't like to hear what he had to say. That's Jeremiah's call. Part of our process as community is to discern what our call is. What is this place and this space where your hands are the hands that bring the mercy of God in the world in ways that no one else can? What are the ways that your words share the love of God in ways that no one else can? In Joseph Campbell's book, uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces, he begins uh, with a story. It goes this way. There's a king in a kingdom who had three daughters, three princesses. And one of the daughters was so beautiful that even the sun envied her beauty. And this daughter had a prized possession. It was a gold ball. And she loved her golden ball. And she would toss it day after day. It was her favorite thing to do. Now, as the story would go, this kingdom had a dark forest right outside the kingdom, as kingdoms do. And in that dark forest, there was a deep pool. And day in and day out, as she tossed her ball, the fair princess would visit the pool and look at the deep waters and she would toss her prized possession. And then one day as she tossed it, it slipped from her fingers and it bounced off a rock and fell into the pool all the way down to the bottom, far out of her reach and too far for her to dive. And she weeped there by the pool over her ball. Oh, her prized possession was gone. But then all of a sudden, because this is a story, a toad jumped out of the pond and said, Oh, princess, I could get your ball for you. She said, Oh, toad, I would do anything. I would give anything, anything if you would get the ball for me. I would give you the pearls from the kingdom. I would give you all the gold that was my inheritance. I would give you everything that I had and anything that you wanted if you would dive and get the ball. And the toad said, anything? She said, oh, yes, anything that you want. And the toad said, well, here's what I want. I want you to take me home with you. And I want to sit at your table and I want to eat with you and I want to play with you in your garden and I want to play with you when you play with your golden ball. I want to be your friend. That's what I want. She said, oh, yes, anything, anything. Please get my ball. And so the toad dove deep into the pool. And after a few moments, the toad came up and is holding the gold ball out and the princess bends down and grabs the ball and says, thank you, thank you. 
And it's getting late, so all of a sudden she begins to run back to the kingdom. And as she runs back, the, the, she can hear the toad yelling, Princess, stop, wait, I'm a slow toad. I cannot keep up, but she keeps running back to the kingdom. And the toad hops back to the pool. One of the interesting things about call and following God's word and being those that are bearers of God's witness in the world is that sometimes we miss the mark. Sometimes we do the things that we know we are called to do and no one notices and or it hurts even when we do it. Following God's call is not a straight line, but is a process. And sometimes when we think and we know that we are flying due north, and it seems just right, something comes from the side and, and knocks us off kilter, and that's a part of the process. I don't understand initially why it happens, but I know that it does. And then sometimes when, when we have the best intentions or when we don't, and yet we're representing God in the world, we just miss the mark. Part of what we see in the book of Jeremiah, not necessarily in the call story, but in the process of the book in Jeremiah, is that call is something that, that we do one time that's a moment in time, but it is a process that continues over and over and over again. God continuously calls us, and we continuously have the opportunity to respond. Part of the question is when the princess is running away, or we're the princess, when we bring the gold ball up and we think we've done just the right thing, is how do we respond in those moments? As I was coming through the call process, you know, the first person that recognized I was called was not me. It was someone else that looked at me and said, Luke, have you ever thought about that you might be called to ministry as a vocation? You might be called to be a pastor? I said, no. And I've noticed over time that as I've gone through this process of being a pastor and this process of being a part of faith communities is that lots of times in our lives we are called and we don't necessarily notice it. And part of our call process is in community. So as you reflect, I hope you take time to reflect this week on your call story, on what it means for you to be called both across your life and then here and now. I also hope that you will prayerfully think about folks in our midst that might be called, the things that they just don't see yet. It was fascinating this week. I met with someone from our church who said to me, do y'all need more adults to help with the Bolivia mission trip? I said, oh my gosh, yes. I think I might be called to be a part of that. This is a lay person in our church. And I said, I think you might be too. It, it is something that has the potential to happen at any moment. And part of it is our openness to the fact that God continues, just like God did with Jeremiah, to put God's words in our mouths. So, 
We're all called in different ways. And, and I hope that you hear that you are called. You are called to... What is it we say at baptism? When, we, when Rob walks the children out, he says this, this child has a unique song to sing, a, wor- a word for the world. Out of the not yet, the unborn, this was created. You were created and you were called. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.